It's the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. The National Security Hour exposes the wolves in sheep's clothing and their nefarious plots to undermine and destroy U.S. national security. Well, we're back on the National Security Hour this Monday, and we're going to take a little bit of a different turn. There's so much events going on the last few days, weeks. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. Um, Mike and I are going to be speaking with a guest, a very special guest today. Uh, we brought him on because uh, he's an old friend, uh, a very special friend, a veteran, a great career, and uh, knows a lot about geopolitics. And uh, one of the very few brave men that went into Syria to meet with President Assad. And you find that on one of our podcasts. And we're bringing him back because there's there's things that have to be defined in what's going on in the world. And we just can't be sycophants and we just can't carry on and one side or the other's wrong or right. Um, and, uh, you know, unless we want to watch videos of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, um, we, we're getting to that point pretty much right now because of the hardball that's being played in Israel with uh, Gaza. So I want to welcome to the National Security Hour, a friend of the show, Senator Richard Black, former senator, state senator. Commonwealth of Virginia, very well liked for many years, a very conservative member, and also a, a brave patriotic veteran. Uh, Senator Black, welcome to the National Security Hour with Dr. Mike and Colonel Mike. Well, thank you very much. I've always enjoyed being here. Sir, I would like you to start off with what you think we should be discussing. I know we, we're going to talk a little bit about what this this race is with the Democrats and what's it's got to do with Gaza. Why don't you lead off with that, sir? Well, you know, let me just say by way of background, the Democrats uh, have orchestrated this presidential race to where they, they arranged to have the president uh, drawn into court battles in four different, uh, four different locations all over the country. And, uh, you need to understand how unique this is. Um, the a president has never been indicted once. Uh, Donald Trump was the 45th president. 44 of them went and they were never indicted in their lifetime. Uh, president Trump has been indicted four different times. He's in courts all over the place. And uh, so the Democrats felt like they, they could... Uh, basically just destroy him uh, by keeping him tied up. Well, what happened is this uh, this uh, violence broke out in Gaza, and uh, the violence in Gaza has split the Democrat Party. It's just caused an absolute civil war within the Democratic Party, and it has caused a truly vexing dilemma for for Joe Biden. And this is probably one of the biggest black swan events in political history. Um, uh, the Democrats, they had this thing lined up, you know, they've stuffed ballot boxes, they've, uh, you know, they've indicted, they've, uh, they've impeached, they've done all kinds of things. And, uh, uh, but all of a sudden, they find themselves on the back foot. Now, 
here's the way that it works. They, uh, right after Hamas uh, carried out its very brutal attack, killed 1,400 Israeli settlers, just gunned down a lot of them in cold blood. And, uh, and then what happened is, uh, you know, Israel struck back uh, sort of in reprisal and, uh, and surprisingly, uh, Muslim Americans and, and, you know, Muslim sympathizers all over the world rose up suddenly. Uh, some of them were, were protesting in support of Palestine and the Palestinian people, but a lot of them were just simply taking the side of Hamas uh, against, uh, against Israel. Now, uh, Here's here's the problem that this causes for the Democratic Party. Uh, they've got very powerful blocks of voters. The, the Jewish vote uh, is 75% Democrat. The Muslim American vote is 65% or more Democrat. They've got to have both of these groups. Now, more importantly, uh, over, over half of all the donations to the Democratic Party come from wealthy Jewish donors. Uh, and so I think uh, President Biden made a very calculated decision. We cannot win this election without those donations, those political contributions. And uh, and so he has come out with a, a steely-eyed, unflinching support of of the bombings of the the people who are crammed into this small area in the Gaza Strip. And right now I think I think the death tally is over 10,000 people and uh, we we're funneling as many bombs as we can and people are being killed all the time. Now nobody has great sympathy for the Hamas fighters. Well, I would say most of it. Um but we're not talking about the Hamas fighters. We're talking about women and children and, and that kind of thing. And Thank you, sir. Thank you, because this is a humanitarian conflict. And we know you are a good person who understands this. You're not just going to say, hey, bomb them to smithereens. You know, there is humanitarian cause here. Thank you, sir. Yeah, there's there's kind of a limit. You know, that you can understand some amount of reprisal. But I think most people have kind of recoiled at the fact that uh, this is such a vast slaughter uh, of the people. But in any event, uh, so what we have is the the Muslim American support has been plummeting for the Democrats. And now it's down to 17% uh, Muslim American support. Uh, it's just such a dramatic decline. Um, now, to some extent, the the Muslim vote had already eroded because of the um, the promiscuity in public schools, the uh, you know sexual grooming that was going on by sending these transgendered men, highly sexualized get-ups uh, to you know indoctrinate little children. That didn't go over well with the Muslim community. That had eroded support already. And I think, but I think for a lot of them, the uh, the uh, situation in Gaza was kind of the last straw. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so now we we're in the posture where uh, 
this morning I turned on CNN, listened to a talk show there, and the, uh, you know, very pro-Democrat, of course, and they were all just very outspoken, you know, uh, in an absolute panic about what are they going to do? All of a sudden, the Democrats are losing uh, in in five of the six swing states that determine the outcome of presidential election. So it's it's very interesting, and uh, I think that the these this merciless bombing campaign in Gaza may uh, be the the uh, fatal blow for the Democrats so long as Biden remains their nominee, which is now has now been brought in question to some extent. What would you like to touch on next, Senator Black? Okay. Um, well, say just one thing on that. Go uh, ahead, Mike. I think it might be a, a even a worse thing than appears possible right now for the Democrats, because the Democrats, forever in, in you know in my lifetime, their money was flowing into college professors and departments to teach pro-Israel policies, and they they changed that horse. Uh, you know, in the in the uh, after around two ten or, or in two thousand, and has been preaching Palestinian Muslim love now because the Muslims are a bigger voting block, and somehow Jewish Americans lost lost the thread on the issue, and uh, there's no way to go back. They're not going to reimplant the pro-Jewish uh, ideology in those con- in those uh, colleges, and there's no way to. If they try to back away from the Muslims, they lose more of the Muslim vote. So it really is something they very much deserve in the in the sense of the way they've played American Americans as um, a tool to to employ racism against. Yeah, it's it's really a conundrum for them. And it's it's one that honestly, I think uh, the the most powerful Jewish Americans have brought on themselves because they promoted this racial uprising with the the George Floyd thing, and uh, and they have promoted critical race theory. Uh, they've supported that this notion that somehow uh, white Christians are oppressors and everybody else is somehow victimized, and and that uh, you know they they were fine with that so long as it was you know some poor, poor folks. Uh, yeah. And on the receiving end, and all of a sudden, they said, you know, wait a minute, you know, don't call us white people. We're we're, we're not white. We're Jewish. <laughs> yeah. And also, also, work. also, Senator Black, they pumped in billions of dollars of endowment money into these schools over the years, which promoted Marxism and socialism. Now it's come back to bite them in the ass, basically. Go ahead. I think that's that's exactly what's happened. And, 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 you know, the open borders immigration, not only here, but all throughout Europe, all through the Western world. This has been something that, you know, the uh, Jewish business elite were very favorable to. And all of a sudden there's wait a minute, uh, this idea that, you know, we thought we were letting in the Trojan horse that would would break up all of the the white voting power, but we didn't intend it to break up, you know, our power and and turn people against us. So uh, it's it's a it's just 
it's one of those things. Who could have expected? I, I had a I had a woman who calls to give me intelligence reports, and uh, she called. She said, she said, oh, you know, she said this weekend there's going to be a big, a big protest rally uh, against uh, against the bombing in Gaza, and it's put on by some big Jewish coalition, and I, I actually asked twice to make sure because it was so counterintuitive I, I this is a jewish group that is there against israel bombing gaza right and yeah well as it turned out there was really a huge huge demonstration in dc that should be a, a very frightening wake-up call for the for the jewish community because I, I tell you you know 20 years from now, if something doesn't change, uh, the next time Israel does something like this, the U.S. is not going to support them. I don't know if we got the 20 years, though. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, the, the one thing for my sins, uh, Colonel, I worked for 25 years at the agency on mostly Afghanistan and uh, then Sunni uh, terrorist groups, especially Al Qaeda. And the one thing we had going for us at the time was that Arabs didn't necessarily hate Americans. They hated our government. The question was always, why are you selling or giving guns to the Israelis to kill Palestinians? Well, Biden has managed to be a dope again. And now we have the U.S. Navy out there flying aircraft, apparently combat missions. We have 2,500 Marines on the ground, and I don't know how many special forces actually pulling triggers on Palestinians and uh, Lebanese Hezbollah and whoever else is fighting there, and maybe soon Turks and uh, Iranians. We've we've sacrificed that, that one position where it wasn't America's military that was doing the killing, it was the Israelis. And we've, we've thrown that to the winds without second thought. I don't think they realize how deep they're into it this time, Colonel. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a very good point. Um, it, you know, we've sort of had this plausible deniability up till now. So we would surreptitiously do a little of this and a little of that. And now, you know, we're pretty forthright about the fact that uh, our special operations people uh, were in there uh, in the initial attacks, uh, you know, pulling triggers, uh, you know, trying to fight their way in. Um, and it, it's just it's it's a big mess. It is indeed, sir. Well, shall we get into it? Let's see um, what I'm thinking. There's really a juicy little item uh, about the uh, about the. Uh, Connecticut judge who's ordered uh, basically invalidated the uh, uh, the primary for Democratic mayor of Bridgeport. Boy, that was a blast, wasn't that? That was a shocker, wasn't that, uh, Senator? It was a shocker, and I discovered a little bit more about it because this guy, uh, the mayor, um, who was running for re-election, has got a sordid past. Um, and he's the most crooked guy you can imagine. And uh, uh, and he spent seven years in federal prison on racketeering and bribery. 
uh, and uh, he was convicted. He, he took cash, diamonds, and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the Atlantic ran an article, and they said, you know, this is this is really the comeback kid because <laughs> here's a guy who's who's just come out of prison and. And he's elected. Now, this was an article I read from 2015. So he's been in office since then, and he was running for re-election. Anyway, maybe we could get into that. And- yeah, we got a couple of minutes. You could start it off, and then we'll go to a break, and we'll come back with that. We got another minute. We'll count. We'll come. We have a, a, the last minute. Let me just take that before we go to the break, and we'll come back on the second segment to take that. You're on the National Security Hour with Doctor Mike, Colonel Mike, and our special guest today, Colonel Senator. Dick Black of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Remember, the National Security Hour on America Out Loud Talk Radio is on iHeartRadio, the voice of freedom, the out loud truth. America Out Loud Talk Radio plays on the iHeart Network. You can also hear us on our media player from any web browser in the world. We have the best in-class apps on Android, uh, Alexa, and Apple. That's AAA, and we stream 24-7. Remember, it's AmericaOutloud.news, AmericaOutloud.news. That's 24-7. You can always go to AmericaOutloud.news. All right. Be sure to make America a lot. Dot news, your daily stop for news happenings. And uh, we almost do our part to share the stories, the articles, the videos so that we can help secure America's future. And today we have one of the great patriots of Virginia on with us. We're going to continue for the second segment and we'll see you on the other side. Lean, pure, with premium ingredients, Global Healing's pure plant protein offers 20 grams of protein per scoop and it's a perfect way to maintain and build lean muscle while indulging yourself it combines enzymes and probiotics to maximize nutrient absorption improving digestion and your gut health available in vanilla and chocolate flavors elevate your protein consumption while supporting your overall wellness with pure plant protein go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15 percent off using the code OUTLOUD, global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code out loud. Welcome back. You're on the National Security Hour with Dr. Michael Shoya, Colonel Michael. Today's guest is Colonel Senator Dick Black of Virginia. Before we start up again, I just want to read something from Mark Twain, which is really important. And this was written way back when. Patriotism is supporting your country all the time. And your government when it deserves it. How do you how do you like that, Colonel Black? Mark <laughs> I, Mark I think that's, that's a that's a great saying because um, he he makes it quite clear he distinguishes between 
the nation, the American people, <clears throat> and a government that is uh, from time to time very corrupt and needs to be watched after by the American people. That's right. All right, so let's continue. We were t- speaking about this election uh, up in the New England area. So go ahead, sir. Okay, this is a this is a New York Post article. Uh, it, this is a very, very juicy uh, article that tells you all you need to know about election fraud in the USA. Uh, now, this this was this is going to show you exactly how the Democrats stole the 2020 presidential election. It has nothing to do the the actual facts have nothing to do with the election. But if you think about it, you'll realize this is how they pulled off the 2020 presidential win. Okay, so th- this takes place in Bridgeport, Connecticut. It's the largest city in in Connecticut. Everybody there is a Democrat. Uh, you know it's well, everybody in office. So you got a, a Democrat judge who is hearing a dispute between two of the candidates for mayor of Bridgeport. Now, the one guy is uh, he's a very interesting character. Uh, he is the incumbent mayor of Bridgeport, Mayor Joe Gannum. Uh, and uh, Mayor Joe Gannum was he was in the Democrat primary running against another Democrat. So there are no Republicans in this story. It's all Democrats. And uh, now Mayor Joe Gannum, he's an interesting guy because <clears throat> he uh, he's been in a long time. And uh, and uh, back in 2015, he he had just been reelected and uh, the Atlantic ran an article and uh and it talked about uh, him as what what an incredible comeback story because not only was he just you know had some misfortunes in in politics, but uh, the man had spent seven years in federal prison for racketeering and bribery, and they talked in the article about him taking cash, diamonds, and all kinds of stuff. Well, anyway. Uh, so he, uh, Joe Gannum, Mayor, Mayor Gannum, is up for re-election. And in the Democrat primary, he's opposed by this fellow, John Gomes. And they're duking it out, seeing who gets the most votes. Well, John Gomes, maybe because he knows uh, the mayor's background and his uh, reputation for honesty, uh, Joe, Joe Gomes, or John Gomes, uh, has some people wait at these uh, drop boxes. Now, drop boxes were were set up by Democrats. They passed laws all across the country to have these unattended drop stations where their people could could take fake ballots, stuff them in while nobody's watching. And so you'd have one or two people who could cast 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 votes and uh, and uh, and shift the shift the course of the elections. Well, anyway, uh, John Gomes, he he he's a Democrat. He understands how the game is played. So he does video and uh, he introduces into court uh, in Superior Court in Bridgeport uh, evidence. Uh, and the video shows two women stuffing heaps of ballot uh, ballot uh, cards 
into drop boxes at at least four locations across the city. So the Superior Court judge, uh, William Clark, uh, listens, he he listens to the arguments, he watches the videos and so forth, and then he renders a decision. And he says, and this is a quote, he says, the volume of ballots so mishandled is such that it calls the result of the primary election into serious doubt and leaves the court unable to decide the legitimate result of the primary. And for that reason, he invalidated the primary. Uh, and uh, uh, at any event, the beauty of this is that there was not a single Republican in this story. You got a Democrat judge, you got two Democrat contenders. So there's there's nothing Republican about this, but the Democrats understand how the game is played. They know how they how the vote is fixed through these drop boxes. And I think the lesson of Bridgeport, Connecticut, is that America has the most crooked elections in the world today. Nobody knows who votes and nobody knows how many times they vote. Uh, so if, if we don't get control of that, obviously uh, our system is going to simply dissolve uh, of its own weight before long. It's more third world than the third world. What do you say, Mike? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you remember Biden, uh, they said it was just a slip of the tongue, but he was talking in public about the greatest um, uh, election fraud, election control of the capability <laughs> that in the world belonged to the to the Democratic Party. And he was talking about fixing elections. And he yeah. I remember that. I remember. And it, it it was a slip of the tongue, but I think it was a Freudian slip. It was. I, I think that's right. He's played the game all of his life. And yeah, he's he's and he's a perfect he example. Of, his tongue hang out of his mouth and he tells the truth. It's a it's a it's a perfect example of a man who has no discernible talent. Can survive in this political system for half a century, never make a right decision and ultimately become president. Because it was his turn. You know, that's all. <laughs> that's the only reason it's astounding, Senator. It's just astounding. It is. And, you know, a, a lot of people, you know, particularly on the left, even some Republicans say, well, there's no evidence that the, the election was fixed. I, I've got to tell you, there were there were over a thousand people who signed affidavits or sworn affidavits under penalty of perjury, uh, reciting facts that they observed at the polls on Election Day in 2020. So to say there's no evidence, uh, there was video evidence of, of people. I, I recall video in uh, Georgia uh, where they they said, OK, we're closing down the polling place, come back in the morning. And then they ran the polls at night and they showed uh, the, the women, the Democrats in there and they're running, running ballots through repeatedly. They run them through and then they run them through again. All of this stuff. And. And people would say, well, look, there, there haven't been there hasn't been a court decision invalidating the presidential election. And that's true. But the fact is, the court, so what? <laughs> courts, how, how does a court um, unravel something of the complexity of a, a nationwide election? 
Now they were able to do it with the with the the George Bush uh, election uh, in Florida, where it came down to a a very narrow issue of these hanging chads to to invalidate the uh, the national election. Uh, you'd need artificial intelligence operating for a thousand years to decipher all the details. And courts traditionally uh, defer on these, what they call political issues. And they, they've got a doctrine that says we we shy away from addressing political issues. So it's not surprising that you didn't have court decisions that, uh, you know, that overturned the elections. But here you can see you. It's nice when you get a clear, kind of a crystal clear, unadulterated look into what is happening in the real world. And this gives it to us: Bridgeport, Connecticut, uh, totally fraudulent election. Uh, and uh, so we'll see whether we can we can get a grip on what's going on in this country or whether we're going to just keep sliding down in the future. Colonel, Senator Black, go ahead, Mike. I was just going to say, Colonel, I agree with all you said, except I, I don't think that the, 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 the Supreme Court turned it down because they didn't want to do it. Not the, the amount of evidence, I remember seeing videos of, of uh, drop boxes in uh, Arizona and people stuffing the boxes in, in broad daylight, cops walking by, no one did anything. The idea that there was not enough information to take the case is, is another byword for, for, for political or judicial cowardice. It's only made everything worse, I think. They, it was like the judges didn't take this seriously. And I, I know it's a hard job, but it does. it brought no glory. It brought no respect to the court. If anything, it really damaged the court. Well, I, you know, I, I don't disagree with you, um, uh, but for for judges, the reason they have this political doctrine, political issue doctrine, is that whatever they decide, they make half of the country just furious at them, uh, and the other the other half just walks away and and feels good about their decision. So it's kind of a no win. There's a lot of politics in the in the judiciary. It's not like you you have these guys and because they put black robes on, they suddenly become neutral arbiters of the truth. Well, I think that I think the founders saw that, and that it's at, at least why the Supreme Court has a post for life, and uh, they can't interrupt the income of these people or anything else. It takes a man of courage or a woman of courage to be able to to do that. But instead, we're get, we get so many hacks. You know, I don't think those two women that were appointed uh, have ever voted against the Democratic issue. No, I, I mean, we, we've got some very marginal folks on the yes. Supreme Court. Well, I think to be fair, you're exactly right. The quality of people on the Supreme Court since 1950 has decidedly spiraled downward. And you you get it. You end up getting political hacks in some cases. Yeah, I, I think I think that's true. Um, in the final couple of minutes of this segment, uh, Senator Black, let let's just talk quickly about what uh, Trump is facing in New York City with uh, judicial lawfare. Well, it's crazy because he's he's got this he's got this judge who 
crips and preens like a like a teenage girl trying to take a glamour shot. You know, he grins and poses uh, if very effeminately for the for the cameras. And uh, he, you know, he's a former taxi driver. He was in and out of the law. You know, he's been overturned multiple times. Uh, so his his judicial record is is uh, far from exemplary. And uh, he he just wants to get this over. You know, he knows what the result is supposed to be, what's expected. He tried to he tried to shut down the Trump operation early on by by uh, canceling the business licenses. <laughs> the objective of the Democrats is to cut off the source of funding for the the uh, Trump campaign. And, uh, you know, Trump, it takes a lot of personal money as well as the campaign money. And uh, and they want to they want to sever that. And so uh, the judge wanted to very quickly uh, cancel the business licenses. And then the appellate court said a little early, you know, maybe maybe you should at least pretend to go through the motions of having a trial first. So, <laughs> I mean, the thing is such a part. And, you know, the the good news is that <clears throat> the Democrats had anticipated that by having the Department of Justice coordinate all of these trials in state and federal courts all around the, the country, that they they would all hit right at election time, which they have. And they would have they would have uh, Trump tied down in courts everywhere and burning up money and so forth. And they got that. But they also felt like that his support would dissolve because people would say, oh, my gosh, you know, we just this can't be our candidate. And instead, nothing is more telling than what happened when Trump took the witness stand. He took the witness stand. You'd have thought every person in America would be watching the president of the United States, former president, testifying and that every every man, woman and child would be glued to their their uh, TV sets, you know, biting their fingernails. But instead, most people didn't even bother to watch it. And uh, and I watched all the news stations because I wanted to see uh, the news on it. And lo and behold, not a single station. I watched CNN and MSNBC and uh, Fox News, all of these news back. And and I didn't I didn't catch on any of them where the Trump trial was a, the lead issue. Uh, and, and it just shows. And I think the good news is that the American people are savvy enough. They realize this is these are not trials to determine what is just and what is what is fair and and so forth who is guilty and so forth these are simply political showcase uh they they, they don't bear any reality uh, to the to the legal world and they're just simply designed to tie up the political opponent of Joe Biden uh, so the, the the Biden the Biden Department of Justice is running the whole show and they're pulling the puppet strings and suddenly they're discovering we've pulled it all off and it isn't working. <laughs> People aren't buying it. That's exactly right. You know, it, it'll be the oddity of all things if the Democrats find out that Trump is an honest man, won't it? 
because they thought he was just like him. They <laughs> thought they, he was just like them, that he's got to be a crook somewhere. And now after almost eight years, they haven't found a damn thing. <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's amazing. This The stuff that, they, that, that they're in this particular trial, it it's kind of boils down to what is the value of goodwill? What's the value of the Trump name to the Trump enterprise? And, uh, well, you know, Trump is a very egotistical guy. He thinks that that his stuff is worth zillions of dollars. I mean, he believes it. Um, and and a lot, to some extent, it's true. His name is worth a tremendous amount. And, you know, if you think about it, when you're talking about goodwill, what is the value of a name in an enterprise? Think about Coca-Cola. If you were to compute the value of the entire Coca-Cola company and you you pen in a number, well, part of that number is going to be what is the value of the name Coca-Cola? Uh, and I will tell you that if you were to, to run an experiment, if you could somehow do this and you could say, okay, we're going to see if what, what the value of Coca-Cola would be if Coca-Cola were suddenly prohibited from using their uh, their iconic uh, labels on the on the cans and the bottles, if they were prohibited from using the name Coca-Cola and instead would just call it generic cola. And they can still produce generic cola, same formula, same everything. I'll bet you the value of the Coca-Cola company would be 5%. That's right. Today. That's right. That tells you, you know, I I, I was an honors, an honors graduate in accounting, and, and then I've I'm, I'm got a business emphasis in law. And uh, and I, I know very well what, what goodwill means and the importance of it. So he prepared, prepares these financial statements to get loans from banks. And on the statement, it says, don't rely on what we say. You do your own investigation and you, you assess what you think it's worth. And so he has accountants and lawyers from the most powerful banks on earth. And they look at his his financial statements and they say, OK, well, we kind of think maybe, yeah, maybe it's this or that. But we know we know he's good for it. We know that he's, he's got a going enterprise and uh, and we're going to lend him money. And so they did. You know what? I don't know. Doesn't I guess doesn't I don't know. I don't know whether it's well, does. It's a lot better, Senator. It's a lot better than the government sending uh, three billion dollars to Solyndra and they go bankrupt seven days later, and nobody has anything to say about that. Hey, we're coming up on another commercial break. We want to thank you, Senator uh, Black. Hang on a second. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Mike will be back in a couple of minutes. Hey, don't forget to visit our sponsors. We'll be back on the other side. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. 
America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. We're back for the final segment on the National Security Hour with Dr. Mike Colonel Mike and special guest, Colonel Senator Richard Black from the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's been a great conversation so far. Senator Black, uh, you know, as someone who visited Syria and met with President Assad, I'd like to get your take on how do we how do we end this? How do we how do we come to a ceasefire, a peace agreement? You know, there's there's an IDF soldier who. is in the New York Times, was on PBS, talking about that he believes Netanyahu's got to go like yesterday, and he believes that this this was all part of Netanyahu uh, pulling out. You could tell us a little bit about that when they pulled about battalions out, but how do we get to the ceasefire? I mean, when does it stop? You know, I mean, it's just carnage at this point. Well, it's very important to understand what took place. Um, for whatever reason, Netanyahu... Uh, reduced the troop strength on the Gaza border. He did it over time. Uh, he, he installed some kind of whiz-bang detection system uh, for a billion dollars that you know was supposed to signal when something's going on. But he reduced the number of troops. Now, he had just a small skeleton crew, just three battalions of troops to cover the entire border. Now, just for the, for those who are not military, a battalion is about 800 people. And uh, what he did is just before these attacks took place, very shortly before, uh, he overrode the recommendations of his, uh, his high command in Israel, and he pulled off two of the three battalions of troops who made up this skeleton force that screened the the border. For all practical purposes, Netanyahu left the border with Gaza undefended. Um, And so when when Hamas attacked, I I think Hamas was was quite surprised at their success. They, They anticipated resistance and there was no resistance. They just stormed across and and when other people in the Gaza Strip found out uh, what was going on people rushed in and and drove across the borders themselves it was just a heyday um it was 10 hours before uh Israel sent reinforcements to those poor settlers who were being slaughtered 1400 people now not all of them were civilians there were, I think, about 350 uh, that uh, were soldiers and I think 300 soldiers and 50 
police officers. Um, but in any way, you had you had over a thousand civilians who were who were just butchered, um, and nobody came to their rescue. Nobody supported them. I think they they attempted to get in a chopper, and the chopper was shot down or something. But uh, so there there are a lot of people in Israel who are just out for Netanyahu's scout. Uh, he's got a reputation of corruption that goes way back, and uh, the courts have been trying to uh, to uh, prosecute him and his wife too. Um, and Netanyahu is in the process of of trying to change the law and and take away power from the judiciary so that they couldn't try him. Uh, so anyway, uh, it, it's it's unclear there. There is a question: Did he did he deliberately create this crisis in order to save his skin to de, you know detract uh, distract attention from him and and move it to this to this war, or um, was he just phenomenally reckless, uh, like like a teenage drunk, you know, on Saturday night running around just doing wild, idiotic things. In either event, it, it is clear Netanyahu must go. The man is, he is incompetent uh, or corrupt or both. Um, so I think what has to, what has to happen is, uh, I think without waiting uh, much longer. I think the Israelis have got to be given American support to to oust this guy from office and replace him with almost anyone, probably one of the military leaders who has some respect. I think we're to the point where, okay, 1,400 Israelis were killed. Uh, they've carried out this this unbridled, unconstrained bombing campaign. Uh, that has slaughtered an enormous number of uh, of women, children. They're up to where you know now the death toll of the of the people in this highly compact uh, city uh, on the on the shore, uh, kind of a, an area that's uh, occupied by 2.4 million people crammed together. Um, They've killed over 10,000, numbers going up, uh, 1,000 1, people killed every every day or two. And uh, it's got to stop. I think, I think there's a point where they can say, okay, we've had our revenge, we've had our reprisal, that's enough. Um, uh, you know, I remember from, from back in history, uh, the, the greatest war crime committed by the uh, um, by the Germans uh, during the Second World War in Italy was that they had this policy that when the partisans, the guerrilla forces, would would kill German soldiers, the Germans would go back and they would kill ten to one, the ten ten uh, uh, civilians for every every one German who had been killed, and. Uh, <clears throat> I, that gives us some idea of of the way that things were viewed back uh, in another time. That you know, a reprisal that kills 
uh, 10, 10 civilians for every every person who was killed over here is considered excessive and uh, and considered criminally excessive. And I think I think the time has come where we've got to say, okay, enough is enough. The United States needs to back off. Um, we can support Israel without supporting the absolute uh, slaughter of people in the Gaza Strip. And keep in mind, not only are we killing people today, but by destroying all of the infrastructure, this is not farmland. This is just like a, a huge city of teeming with hum humanity. And so when you destroy the buildings, you may not kill the people today, but the people are going to die of exposure and uh, starvation and so forth over coming years. So even though we've, we've seen 10,000 killed, chances are fairly good that this will equate to perhaps hundreds of thousands dying in coming years because there's simply nowhere for them to, to go. Um, so I think it's time that, that people come together and say, okay, enough is enough. Let's draw back militarily. Let's tell the Israelis, we've got your back, but not to the extent that we're going to just watch the wanton slaughter of people, um, regardless of, of what the justification was originally. So we'll see. I, I don't know whether that's going to happen or not. Uh, there are big donors who are paying lots of money to uh, to keep this thing going, and and hopefully... Some of them will even have some second thoughts that maybe enough is enough. Well, you know, as a as a military expert that you are, uh, as you know, war is money, and uh, Tyson's Corner is all about war <laughs> outside the Beltway, and uh, we have those big data centers in that county called Loudon. I, I never understood, Dick, why they have so many data centers. I thought one or two would do it. Recently, I was by Dallas. And I think I counted over 12 big data centers. And I says, how much data does the world really have? Did you see so, the size of those centers? There are 165 data centers in Loudoun County alone. And uh, uh, by conservative estimates, 70% of the entire world's internet traffic flows through Loudoun County. Uh, some, some put the figure uh, much higher than that, but uh, 70% is kind of a baseline. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, we have a great deal of influence uh, uh, over over the Internet and that type of thing. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm sure they're not the green energy net zero kind of data center. Would you agree with that? <laughs> Let me tell you, that's that's a good point. Um there is not one data center in the world that is uh, that is powered. They have an enormous power requirement. Not a single one in the world is powered by solar and wind power and you know all these wind <laughs> wheels and and uh, stuff like that. Um, they need reliable power and they don't mess around. Um, uh, they not only are they are they fed by uh, you know by coal, oil, nuclear, uh, but they they have a gigantic capacitor that 
that has enough electrical power stored just in the capacitor to where it can power the uh, the data center for up to five minutes. During that five minutes, and, and it actually only, only happens, it only takes a second or two, there is, there is a bank of, of just dozens and dozens of powerful muscular uh, diesel generators. And as soon as there's a flicker in that electrical power, uh, the capacitor kicks in and the diesel engines switch on and you have this immense roar of, uh, of diesels powering up the data center. Uh, they have to be absolutely flawless. They can never uh, have a break in current. And so the idea that they're going to say, well, uh, maybe maybe we can wait until the wind starts tomorrow and <laughs> start to turn, or, or maybe you can wait until the morning where the sun rises and, oh, my gosh, if there's a rainstorm, then our, then our solar chips don't work anymore. The, the whole thing, all of these these novel uh, energy sources. It's rubbish. Uh, they yeah. just had the biggest, uh, the biggest uh, offshore wind farms in in Connecticut that went bankrupt, belly up or something the other day. I don't know the details of it, but anyway, they they canceled out this massive project. They did that up in they did that up in Cape May, New Jersey. Now uh, they had the Danish company back out and put up a hundred million, which is in escrow still. And uh, they, the state's probably going to get to have that money. I was thinking a better idea. If we had carousels outside every data center and the kids go on the merry-go-round, maybe we could power them up with some merry-go-rounds. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably as practical as doing it with wind and solar. Yeah. <laughs> go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I, I, I got two points to make. Uh, I think your your discussion of, of the possibility of Netanyahu building a system that was deliberately vulnerable. I I hope personally that that tr proves to be true because it points exactly back to my own experience in 9-11. Mm -hmm. Not that the government was responsible for the attacks, but they knew the attacks were coming and they stood down. And I think that that's the reason the 9-11 commissions did redacted archive redacted specifically so when they were done the american people could read it has never been released never even been commented on never even been asked about in congress so that's one one point that i think is is the longer this goes on the more discussion there will be not only about what netanyahu did but what was done in this country to provide the opportunity for what happened on 9-11 well, that's a good point. Uh, you know, uh, there there was a plan announced by Israel that they were going to uh, they were going to open a a Gaza uh, gas field, and it was going to be very productive. It was going to provide a lot of money for Israel, and they said for the uh, Palestinian people also. Uh, and the when Israel announced this, they said, "Well, we we are." going to uh, work together with with Egypt on their side and with the P with the Palestine the PLO whatever it's called today they didn't mention that they were going to work with Hamas now Hamas 
not only is it this this terrible military organization, but it also was the government of the uh, of the Gaza Strip. So it's very peculiar that Israel would say we're going to now uh, work with the Palestinian state rather than with the actual elected government of Gaza Strip. Uh, how did that happen? That was a very strange thing to do. And uh, Very good point, uh, Senator Black. No one talks about that. That's a very good point. The second point I wanted to make, if, if, if we have time, is the unanimity within the, at least the House of Representatives for diverting $14.5 billion to Israel, not a cent to border control, not a cent to the people who are having their farms and houses uh, ruined by the, these incoming people, by you know having their farms ruined losing family members to the violence of these people. Not Hawaii, only, Hawaii, Ohio. Yeah the, the, yeah, the train wreck in Ohio, all those children and people that were wiped out in that fire that they got hemmed in on deliberately. What, is the, what does that say about the Congress? It says to me that the Congress is, every one of them is dependent on funding from Jewish Americans. You know, the first words of our new America First uh uh, speaker, where my the first bill I'll bring up is from for our dear friends in Israel, our dear friends who suborn our people to spy against us, who share our technology with other countries illegally, who are, are just they're nothing but a, a pain in the butt to America, which we brought on ourselves. But th that demonstration of absolute uncaringness toward 300 million Americans by the Congress is something I hope that lives forever in the minds of voters. Well, that's going to wrap it up, Mike. And uh, we want to thank our guest, Colonel Senator Richard Black, uh, Loudoun County, Commonwealth of Virginia. We want to thank you for coming on the National Security Hour. And thank you for joining us on the mission. The National Security Hour is the tip of the spear in the epic battle to defend the United States of America. And you know we say it all the time, we mean that. Senator Black, have a good day, salute. Happy Veterans Day coming up. So we salute you, sir. Thank Always you. a pleasure. Always a pleasure, Senator, thank you.